Well, Multiply Lake Norman, second service. How are we doing today? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, a couple things I want to let you in on before we get started with today's message. Uh, the first one is this. You've heard this from Pastor Manny. You heard it from Pastor Keith last week, but we have our volunteer training right after service at 12 o'clock. Uh, it'll be in this room, so we're excited for that. Who's that for? It's for everyone serving. It's for everyone who wants to serve, and it's for every one of y'all who are avoiding serving, all right? So make sure y'all come hang out with us. We also have Party with the Pastors today. Uh, for that, man, if you're new to Multiply Church, that's a time for you to get to know our staff, all the pastors, uh, where we've come from, where we're going, uh, learn a little bit about our story, and we want to get to know your story as well. And then the parents in the room, uh, February the 11th, we have our parents' night out, and all the family said, amen. all that, yeah, whatever, amen, you cheered, all that, it was like awkward. Uh, but what do we do that for, man? We do that for all the parents in the room who have kids. Now listen, don't drop off your 17-year-old for parents' night out, all right? Leave them at the house. Unless they want to come serve, they can come serve and watch the kids. Uh, but man, we want to provide you guys a date night. Uh, we've been in our Altered series for the past four weeks, stepping into week five, kind of give you a recap. Week one, we talked about the altar of prayer. We looked at Daniel and how he stood for prayer when an entire nation bowed down. Week two, we talked about the altar of presence, and we looked at Obed-Edom and his family and how they hosted the presence of God and the impact that that had for generation after generation. And that kind of naturally led us into week three, uh, the altar of generations. We took a look at Joshua and how he built an altar uh, after the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River to remind the current and the future generations about the power and the presence of God. And we asked this question in week three, what are we building now that will outlast us? I think a lot of times we want to build stuff in our life that we can acquire, but what are you building now that will outlast you even when you're gone? What does your legacy look like? And in week four, we talked about the altar of God's power. And the power of God was undeniable when we read the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember the prophets of Baal, how they were cutting themselves. They performed rituals, but nothing was working. The fire wasn't coming from heaven. And then Elijah, what did he say? He said, hey, go ahead and put water on my altar three times. And then he prayed, the fire fell, and then they actually prayed for rain, and the rain came. And, and we talked about the altar of God's power. Well, week five, we're going to talk about the altar of uncut stones. The altar of uncut stones will be in Exodus chapter 20 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'll be referencing a few different verses as well. But Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 25, it reads like this. If you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. And if you're like me, when you read through scripture, sometimes this passage can be a bit obscure. It's as if it was coming out of left field a bit, but let's break it down. Why, why did Moses have to write this? Why did God say that? Biblical history and context tells us that the Israelites just came out of Egypt. So think about it. They were there for over 400 years. They were immersed in the Egyptian mindset, the Egyptian rituals. They were immersed in the, the way that the Egyptians worshipped their gods, the way they educated their kids, the way they lived their life as a whole. See, God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, but now God had to deliver Egypt out of the Israelites. We've all been there before. So God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, and the basis of that, God was saying, hey, this is who I am. This is who you are. He said, love God, love each other, and then this is how life will work. Life will work 
well. It's, it almost reminds me of the Garden of Eden. So think back to Genesis chapter 1, 26. It says, Scripture says that God made us in His image. But for some reason, in our finite minds, we try to return the favor back to God and create Him in our image. So God says, hey, listen, I'm going to create humanity in my image, and then we try to flip the script a bit. Let, let me create God in my image. Let me create God the way that I want to see him. And as long as I can create God the way that I want to see him, then I can actually have him in my life. Because it fits my pattern. It fits my culture. It fits my way of living. But when you begin to shape an omnipotent, holy God of the universe into our image, what we're actually doing is building an idol. Anybody in the room, anybody in the room like Narnia? I got, I got one, one or two of you. I'm a big Narnia fan. I'm not going to lie to you. Man, I, I love Narnia. I love the books. I love the movies. And think back to The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It's a story that uses fictional characters to display Jesus. And one of those characters is Susan, and, and she's interacting with another character named Mr. Beaver. And I want to kind of read this interaction. I'm going to read it as if I were reading to my five-year-old at night, okay? So bear with me. So Mr. Beaver says this. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought, I thought he was a man. I, I, is he quite tame? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Tame, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about tame? Of course he isn't tame, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Listen, if you've ever seen Narnia, you quickly recognize the reverence that every being has for Aslan. The entire movie or the book series is a battle between good and evil. And, and C.S. Lewis takes the reader on this journey that actually depicts heaven and hell. The, the good side has a reverence towards Aslan. That they know of his story. They know of his power. They know of his majesty. They know of his grace and his gentleness. They have this reverence for him. But the other side also has a reverence for Aslan as well. And every time his name is mentioned, they actually tremble in fear. In the movie, there's no way to tame Aslan who is representing Jesus. But again, in our finite minds, we do our best to put an infinite God into a box. At the very best, we at least try to keep him at an arm's length because if we can keep him at an arm's length, then we can still control certain things in our life. I'll let God in to this point, but, but no further. And I think that's how the Israelites were living. Let's go back a few verses in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8. Scripture says this, the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord said. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. And I almost have this image, taking some creative liberty, that God was like, great, the Israelites are all in. So, so God tells the Israelites to prepare themselves, and in three days, he would actually speak to them from Mount Sinai. So they go through this process of preparing themselves, and they go to the mountain, and then the rubber meets the road, the Ten Commandments come down in Exodus chapter 20, and what do the Ten Commandments say? They said, you shall not have any other gods before me. You should not make an image of yourself to worship. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. And every parent in the room said, amen. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. 
Let's connect some dots through Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, then keep my commands. Kind of naturally flows into Matthew chapter 5, historically known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, what I see is Jesus is almost like pumping up the crowd a bit. Let me set the scene for you. There's thousands of people gathered around, and Jesus just starts to, to talk. And he says things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you. I'm sure everyone in the crowd could kind of identify with something that Jesus was saying. And then he talks about being salt and light and how humanity is called to, to share the story of Jesus. But then we get to Matthew 5, 17, and it's almost as if the pendulum starts to swing back the other way. And it reads like this. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we read the list of the Ten Commandments, and, and we think we're good. We actually start acting like the Pharisees a bit, boasting us of how we've never committed any of these sins. I've never committed murder. And we, we feel good about ourselves. Start rattling this stuff off. Of course I would have no other God before the Lord. Now, now the Sabbath, that one's up for debate, right? What do you mean a full day? What do you mean a full 24 hours? Or sad, right? And we start, we start justifying it, right? And we're like, oh, I'm just going to check my email because I'm just getting rid of the junk email so that I don't have to deal with that on Monday. And inevitably what happens is you delete all the junk email and you see that one email that you know you're not supposed to open because it's the Sabbath. You know you're not supposed to be working. Uh, maybe I'm just preaching to myself right now. Uh, you click on it and then it's that laundry list of like, oh, dear Lord, like why did I even open up that email? And you try to unread it. Oh, I'll wait till Monday. You wait a couple hours, you go back to it just so that you can respond. What do you, what do you mean keeping this? I can't, the, the Sabbath is a loose one, right? What about, I, don't, I don't really covet. Of course there's some things that my neighbor has or, or a family member has. And, and yeah, I, I like it. And do I want it? Yes, but I'm not coveting. I'm not coveting it. I'm just using it to encourage me to work harder. And we try to flower this stuff. Adultery? I mean, I could never do that. How could anyone cheat on their spouse? And then when we find out someone has sinned, when they've fallen short in, in one of these areas that, that we ourselves haven't fallen into, then we put a scarlet letter on them as if they're blemished, tarnished, and no good to God anymore. But, but keep reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Scripture says this, You've heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Man, you might be in the room and you haven't killed anybody, but some of y'all have some fierce anger problems. Notice how I said y'all and not me. Some of y'all got some... <laughs> who am I kidding? Society tells me because I have red hair I got anger problems. Right? Society tells me because I have red hair, I'm hot-headed, I'm, I'm quick to act, I'm bold, and I'm brash. Again, all because I have red hair. But according to healthfundingresearch.org, which is a real website, 
They say this, the reality is none of those traits are proven to be exclusively a redheaded thing. So put that in your pipe and smoke. I don't have an anger problem. I know. I don't have an anger problem. But then verse 27, and you heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, we like to point fingers. How could anyone ever do that? Don't they know what they, man, I would never. But if we look at Jesus' standards, and if we're honest in the room, most of us, if not all of us, based on this standard, have committed adultery in our heart. You look at the opposite sex from across the gym, committed adultery in your heart. You're scrolling on social media and you stopped on an image for a little too long. Guess what? Based on Jesus' standard, you committed adultery in your heart. So if Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, then we're still called to follow the Ten Commandments. And we're held to the standard that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 5. But how does all this connect to Exodus chapter 20 verse 18? See, the people had an opportunity to hear from God himself. Verse 18 says this, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they rambled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, for surely we will die. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, for that fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning, and the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And these, these few verse, verses blow my mind. In verse 18, they trembled, they got scared, they shied away, and then verse 21 says that they remained at a distance. This is the scripture that absolutely breaks my heart. How many people are keeping God at a distance out of fear of the unknown? How many people are keeping God at this distance as if you're scared to walk towards him because of how he might respond to you? Think back to, think back to Narnia, right? C.S. Lewis depicted that emotion through Lucy. Aslan, a, a lion. I, I don't know if I could ever meet a lion. I don't know if I could ever stand in the presence of a lion. A little less than a year ago, I had the opportunity to go uh, on a safari in in South Africa. And man, being on a safari, it's a a cool experience. You're in this like open-aired vehicle, this truck, and and there's animals absolutely everywhere. No cell service. Like you do a 360, there's nothing around you but land and animals. And I remember seeing kind of the giraffes in the wild. We saw one giraffe kind of by himself, and we come around this bin, and there's like four over here. There's four. It's like a herd of giraffes. Is that like even a thing? Is that a thing? It's called a journey. Thank you. He lives in Africa, so now you know he lives in South Africa. But they have this journey of. I just learned something. This journey of. Anybody else learn that for the first time? Yeah. You're not going to remember anything else about the the sermon today, (laughs) except that a group of giraffes is called a journey. It's like a bad band name. (laughs) Sorry. The seasoned generation in the room just got mad at me. But man, I remember seeing giraffes. I remember seeing the herd of water buffalo. I remember seeing the hippos. In fact, there there was like this group of hippos, and there was this little baby that was on like his mom's back, and they would both come up. The little baby hippo would like flip its ears and go back underwater. I remember seeing the elephants. And elephants, I'm convinced that elephants are like overgrown eeyores. Like they really don't care. They just kind of like mope along and walk around. 
elephant kind of walked up to the side of the truck, just kind of kept going. Remember seeing the rhinos, there were three of them that were at a distance. But the entire time you're in the truck, the entire time you're riding around, you so desperately want to see the lion. You so desperately want to see the big cats. And I think that's how we live our lives. We go through life and we remember these big moments as if they were accomplishments or things that we're truly in awe of. And it's kind of like seeing the giraffe, the buffalo, and the hippo or an elephant in the wild. But we so desperately want to see God in our lives. We so desperately want to see the lion. But the problem is we're like the Israelites in verse 21. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people, the church, if we're not careful as a congregation, we will remain at a distance and say, hey, worship team, you actually approach God for us. We'll remain at a distance and say, hey, pastor, you actually approach God for us. Well, we say things to God like, hey, I'll go to church, I'll show up, I'll walk in the door, but I'm not coming to the altar. As long as I can keep God at a distance, I'll feel like I'm somewhat in control. Last week, we had a prayer moment or altar moment uh, at the end of our, our service, and man, I felt in my gut that there were a few people that stayed in their seats because like the Israelites, they wanted to keep God kind of at arm's reach. This whole idea or this thought has been going through my head this week that, there, man, there are people that will walk in the door, but they won't come to the front. They'll, they'll walk in the door, they'll show up on a Sunday morning, but they won't spend time at the altar. Now, at the end of service, man, I felt there were two or three people that still needed to come up front for, uh, for prayer. And I said it out loud. I don't know if you, if you were here, if you remember that. But believe it or not, man, that actually stretched my faith. Because I thought to myself, God, what if I say I'm feeling like you told me to say something, that people should respond, but nobody responds? I was watching the service this past week. I was kind of taking my, some, my, my own notes and I wrote this down in my journal. I'd rather miss the mark chasing after God than miss the mark disobeying God. Man, I would rather miss the mark chasing after God with all that I have, all that's in me, rather than disobeying God, blatantly disobeying God and missing him. So I said it, and man, after service, three people came up and, and asked for prayer. But even as I was writing the sermon, I, I wrote this down in my notes. Wednesday, February 1st at 10.30 a.m., Good Drip Coffee. I'm sitting at a table by myself and my heart is breaking even more because I keep going back to verse 21. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Man, can I remind you and encourage you that you don't have to keep Jesus at a distance. Let Jesus fully into your life. Let Jesus fully into your sin. Let Jesus fully into your problems and your challenges. Let Jesus fully into your mistakes and your dreams. Let Jesus fully into your business and your family and your marriage and your future. But this is some of our response sometimes because we get angry and we get frustrated. And you can say, like, Zach, how can you say that? Like, I hear you. I hear you week in and week out. But, but Zach, I would if I knew how. I, I truly would let God in if I knew how. In fact, if I'm honest with you, Zach, I'm so fed up because I've been trying and trying and trying and trying, and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. You tell me that God will show up, and, and I've done everything that I know how for God to show up in this moment, in this situation, in this season, but I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. My marriage isn't getting any better. 
My business has plateaued. My water cup falls over. My spiritual walk is okay at best. My depression isn't going anywhere. My anxiety isn't going anywhere. And you almost feel as if you're drowning. And you're only breathing because your head's barely above water and you have a straw that you're trying to suck as much oxygen through as you possibly can. I don't know if you've been there, but man, I have. (laughs) And it's it's not like, oh, I'm the pastor and I've been there five years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago. No, your boy was there six days ago. If I can be honest with you, Monday night, I about absolutely snapped in half as my cap goes somewhere. Kind of tell you the story. I was playing pickleball Monday night. I was on the courts. And if I'm honest with the room, again, we believe at this church uh, in having appropriate vulnerability. And I want to be appropriately vulnerable with you this morning. Monday night, playing pickleball, had a rough two weeks of conversations and and being with people, working with the town of Davidson uh, with some potential land that we could go to after we move out of this facility, dealing with my grandmother's estate after she passed away a couple weeks ago. The stress of uh, of us moving into a building, uh, something for our church to move into when our lease is up here in two and a half years. The stress of having about two or three deaths in the church family, and if I'm honest with you, I felt beat down and I felt myself slowly breaking. Anybody ever been there? Like you just know you're not yourself. Like you just know internally, like it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You're like, I, I know I'm in a bad mood right now. I just pray that somebody does not say anything to me because I'm going to snap. The prayers that I pray is, I wish somebody would say something to me so I could. Like I, I want somebody to cut me off right now because I'm going to let them have it. I want somebody to pop off at the mouth while I'm at the grocery store because I'm going to let them have it. Pastor arrested for beating down somebody in the grocery store. We're playing pickleball. How to apologize to my my partner. My partner's in the room right now. So partner, I'm apologizing to you again. But one of the guys that we were playing against, man, started chirping a little bit. And if you know me in competition, I like the trash talk. I I love trash talking. Man, it kind of gets me going a little bit. But in that moment, I just kind of bit my tongue and, and put my head down. That moment, I was just silent. And after our league was over, I asked uh, Pastor Manny to play singles against me because I just needed to sweat. Like, I, I just had so much built, ten- like built up tension. I just needed to sweat a little bit. So we start playing singles, and then I just started getting ticked off even more because I could not hit a shot in bounds to save my life. Like, I just couldn't do it. The whole night. Like, I just could not hit a shot in bounds. I was just getting frustrated and frustrated. and fr- I made Manny look like a pro. You look really good Monday night. You look really good playing me. Put a pin in that story for just a second. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. Verse 25, if you make an altar of stones for me, don't do it with dress stones. For you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. Say, what? (laughs) Y'all ever read something in Scripture and you're like, huh? And don't go up to my altar on steps for your private parts will be exposed. The Bible's getting a little risque. Talk about some private parts being exposed. But there's two main points that I've discovered in these three verses. And the first one is this. And make it plain. 
make your altar plain. You don't have to dress it up. I think we try to, we try to dress up our stones. We try to dress up the altar before we present it to God. And, and we'll take a chisel and we'll take like a little mallet and, and we'll make some noise. And, and that, doesn't even make, that doesn't even make noise. Like it doesn't even work. So we, we try to dress it up more. And we try to like, God, I want to give you my opinions. God, God, I want to give you, I want to give you my past. And, and I want to make my past an excuse because if I make my past an excuse, then, then I can justify the way that I act and the way that I treat people. Try to dress up these stones. And then we'll say, you know what? God, that's out of my comfort level. So let me dress this up a little bit and let me make it comfortable for me. And when it's comfortable for me, then I'll follow you. Or we say things like, you know what, God, let me use my experience. Because if I can use my experiences, then at least I know where I'm going. We try to make these justifications. We try to dress stuff up. We try to cut the stones down to make them presentable to God. We do that in our own life. I walk in the door, but I'm not coming up front because I'm not dressed up enough. I'm not, I'm not removed from my sin far enough. This is the problem with, with people following Jesus. We feel like time is actually greater than the grace of God. We feel like the longer that we're removed from a sin, God will forgive us more from that sin. No, God forgave you by hanging on the cross. Your time away from sin isn't greater than the grace of God. Either Christ's blood is enough to save you and sustain you, or it's not. Either Christ's blood is good enough in your present situation, or he's not. There's no in-between. Again, we try to justify it. We try to say, well, if I remove myself, let me wait three months, and then I can present myself before God. Let me wait six months, and then I can present myself before God. Let me wait until I clean my life up a little bit, and then I'll come to the altar. Let me wait until I've got it figured out, and then I'll present myself before God. God says, stop trying to dress up the stone. It's an altar of uncut stones for a reason. Don't try to dress it up because as soon as you dress it up, you defile it. As soon as you dress it up, you try to act as if you're something that you're not. God says, I just want, I just want you. I just want the uncut version of you. And then I've realized this is that higher isn't better. Verse 26, and do not go to my altar on steps where your private parts may be exposed. Again, sometimes we can read scripture and go, I don't really know what that means. But what I pulled from that is this, the more religious we think we are, the more we think we have it put together, the more we think we have life figured out, the more we actually show our, you can fill in your own blank there, and whatever word you use shows your spiritual level. But I know what word I wanted to use. I know what word I typed in. Go back to Monday night. I was playing pickleball. Had kind of that breaking moment. I sat in my truck. And I was sitting in silence. The lights on the courts were off. The parking lot was empty. Everybody had driven away. I turned the music off. Man, I put my phone down. Because I, I couldn't dress it up anymore. I couldn't dress up my situation with my own opinions. I, I couldn't dress up my situation with my own comfort level. I mean, I couldn't dress up my, my situation with my own experiences. I couldn't dress up my situation with my own upbringing or, or using my past or, or my childhood as, as a reason of why I'm acting the way that I'm acting. I couldn't, man, I couldn't dress it up anymore. 
really, you know what I did is I, I stopped using my excuses. And I left all of my excuses at the feet of the cross and I just started talking to Jesus. And I remember, and I remember driving away from that parking spot. And it was like the further I got away from that spot, the more I could kind of just breathe again. It didn't feel like I was breathing through that straw anymore. It was like, you know what, God? You're in control. I don't have to dress up my life. I don't have to try to dress up my sin. I don't have to try to dress up and act like something that I'm not. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it all to you. I'm just gonna give it all to you. John Ortland wrote this in Gentle and Lowly. It's a book that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. He said, we cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep because no such reason exists every human friend has a limit if we offend enough if a relationship gets damaged enough if we betray enough times then we're cast out the walls go up but with Christ our sins and our weakness are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him Jesus does not love us Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit, but Jesus loves to the end. And Ortland ends with this. He says, go to Jesus. All that means is to open yourself up to him. Let him love you. One of the biggest downfalls to the Christian life is, is we have enough faith for other people and not enough faith for ourselves. We have enough faith to think that God can forgive other people, that God can heal other people, but that he can't do the same thing for us. We'll have faith for others, but we can't have that same faith for ourselves. What would it look like if this morning we stopped trying to dress up the stones? What would it look like if we just presented ourselves before the Father. So that's what we're going to do. Here at this church, you'll hear it all the time. We we have this saying, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. We're not just going to talk about prayer. We're going to be about prayer. We're not just going to talk about the altars. We're going to be about the altars. We're not just going to talk about the presence of God, but we're going to interact with and experience the presence of God. So don't try to dress it up. What if we started moving towards the altars this morning? Don't try to think too highly or too mighty of yourself to think that you can do life without God because I promise you, you can. So for the next few minutes, this is what we're going to do, man. We're going to open up the altars and I'm going to challenge you to move out of your seats to make your way to the front and to worship Jesus for who he is and who he says he'll be in your life.